Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 124 of Lift Free and Diet Hard Podcast. I'm Andrew Coates. I'm always proud to be your host. And I have another podcast, and I don't know if I mention it on air here much. It's definitely directed towards, I guess, female fitness consumers. It's called Forever Strength. I have a co-host named Bailey. And brought a lot of great guests on there. And Kate Callahan was one of those guests recently. And she kind of blew the doors off of that ep- that episode in that podcast. So I was like, all right, well, I got to get Kate over here. But Kate also fits here too, because we we met because we were both speakers at the Real Coaches Summit in early March in Vegas. I uh, got to hang out a little bit. So uh, I, I'm thrilled to have you on because the last appearance, anybody wanting to hear more of that stuff, message me. I'll give you the link to that episode because it's great. But I was hoping to tap into maybe a little bit more on the the career success side of stuff. But first of all, welcome to the show. Very, very happy to be here. I loved our conversation. So I'm very excited to talk a little bit differently about what I do and how it came to fruition. And hopefully this will help people that are up and coming for sure. So my cat Ozzy is performing and jumping up around on things so we can see (laughs) there he is. Jump up there. I, I don't usually, I may start airing the videos of these things, but we'll see what happens. Okay, so uh, your work is within mastery and, or sorry, within mindset. You know, you, you kind of have that mindset mastery thing going on with a lot of your media. And our industry loves to talk about mindset. It it loves to, but I, I think a lot of that stuff is still kind of superficial lip service to mindset. And I don't think most of those people actually have the grasp on it that you do. And what do you, where are the coaches you interact with? Because you do interact with coaches. Where are they struggling with mindset as it applies to building their own careers, their own media, their own business? I want to talk on that side. Yeah, this is a great question. So I think first and foremost, I have to explain how I got to this point, right? Because Please. I was very, very well versed in all things nutrition, performance, body comp, metabolic adaptation, and hormonal adaptation as well. And I did that through my under graduate and then doing my master's at the University of South Florida under Dr. Bill Campbell. So I got to study and publish a lot of that research. And so for me, being an athlete, it was never the discipline or understanding that I was missing, but there was kind of a rock and a hard place point in my life, which I know that everybody kind of hits rock bottom at one point or another. And it forced me to get very introspective because my identity was an athlete. And so If that wasn't something I could do, I had to figure out who I was. And I say this because when we get into coaching and helping people, a lot of them come to us for a reason that logically makes sense. But most of the time, I would say all of the time, the first response is not the real one. And so it's very hard to connect with somebody and understand why they want this, why they desire this thing. And more than that, to get them to actually sustain the transformation that they want. And so you have to be able to meet them where they're at and understand where they're coming from, their frame of reference, what got them to this point, what their beliefs, actions, narratives, behaviors, and habits are, and what cultivated those things. Because especially people take, for example, a lot of women, even men, sometimes though they're not as open to express it, they struggle with their relationship with food. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that at one point in their life, right, every habit that we have it's solidified as a habit because it gave us something at the time that we started utilizing it, right? Some positive feedback. And so instead of judging or shaming or labeling somebody as something, we need to figure out well, what is that void that you're trying to fill with this activity or behavior. And a lot of people do not even understand themselves on that introspective level to be able to ask the right questions, And so when you are speaking to a client or you're trying to understand them so that you can help them appropriately, you have to be able to probe them appropriately, right? To get skilled answers, you have to ask skilled questions. And so for me, a lot of my quote unquote, like mindset or psychology stuff first started with trying to understand who I am, where, where, what I believe, why do I believe that? There's a really great quote that I loved. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's it. 
And it's that humans, humans, um, this is how humans are. They, we question all of our beliefs, except for those we truly believe and those we never think to question. <laughs> and so for me, it was like, okay, well, how many beliefs do I have that are so deep in my psyche that I never question them at all? And so then I started unplugging everything. And like one thing that a lot of people will relate to in this, especially business owners or people that are looking to get healthier or more fit is the definition of success. Well, when you, do, when you talk about success, most people, people in Western culture are going to think money, status, material items. Right. And again, I had the same, the same idea, the same perception of success. I was like, well, I'm not successful enough. Well, if I believe that compared to what and and who who told you that that was success? And and who are you measuring yourself to? And why do you think they're successful? Whereas if I break all of that down and I go, well, what actually do, what do I do? What do I pursue that makes me feel fulfilled? Because to me, that is how I feel about success is something that I engage or actively do that makes me fulfilled as a person in my own kind of external reality. And so for me, when then I started questioning, okay, well, what are, what are those things? And I could be able to break that down, but I think not enough. I think mindset is a very nice gimmicky, flashy label of like, you need to do mindset work. This is awesome. Like, that's how you change your life. And everybody's kind of on this train. And I think it's a great thing, but on the other side of the coin, you might read somebody's caption or a post or a carousel, and you might try to apply that to somebody else. But for me, again, like understanding, we talk about this in business as well as your core values and what do they mean to you and how do you embody them? And so for me, one of them is leadership and the other one is integrity and fortitude and excellence and it stands for life. So for me, one, like to be a leader means leading from the front, meaning I would never ask somebody to do something that I've never done. So how can I ask somebody to be introspective or investigate themselves or ask themselves these questions when I've never gone through that experience? And then with integrity, if I don't understand how a concept works or is applied, I shouldn't just throw it out into the world. And it's like throwing shit at a wall and hoping that it sticks. Whereas if you have the proper frameworks because you've worked through them and utilized them and you've done it to yourself to figure out how did you ask that question to get to the solution that you found? Or what was the clarifying point for you? And how did that impact you emotionally? Right? Because when you start to do something in, in psychology, it's called shadow work, right? Because we all have a dark side and demons and being able to look at them and acknowledge them and accept them without judging them, right? That's where you can get a lot of clarity on, okay, these are some of the traits that can be very bad, but they can also be very good. And the danger still is always in the dose because anything in high enough dosage can be toxic. And so that's even your thoughts. That's even your behaviors. That's even your interactions. That's even your impulses, right? And it, it trickles down into all the things, but if you look at it and say, that's bad. And then you try to shut it off, right? You're doing more harm than good because that inevitably will rear its ugly head up at some point, probably in a manner that is catastrophic, so I don't know if that answers that question specifically, but I do think that fundamentally people are missing the work. It's very easy now to go on Google and find an answer and make a post. But if you don't understand any of the concepts that are, that are ingrained in that idea or that thing that you are preaching outwardly that maybe you've never even done or investigated or practiced, I would say that that is the definition of being an imposter. Maybe that's why so many people struggle with imposter syndrome is they haven't done the work. There's a ton of stuff in there. And that was brilliant. I mean, first of all, anybody listening who's got a podcast, you're going to probably need to get Kate on your podcast because this is why you're back for this one. It's like, shit. Ever, ever spend time around someone who you're like, wow, this person makes me sort of feel almost stupid because they just are so smart, but they also have a really great way of explaining and articulating things. So I, I love that quote. Hormozzi has been using that quote a lot too. And he's been waving that one around a lot. And it goes into something that... I've been just a guest on a podcast and I talked about this a bit and it's challenging our narratives and our belief systems, right? So that's a line that my, my stuff is probably a little more surface level than what you're talking about. And I'm a very big believer. And this also sort of like this thought crystallized when I saw Hormozy presentation where he talked about a, a spectrum of uh, buying decisions. And it was sort of the, the people who are rational buyers and the people who are emotional buyers. Well, first of all, Every action we take, every choice we make is a type of purchase. It's so they're they're perfect. They exist within the same sort of mental paradigm. Okay. And I personally believe that there's really no such thing as a logical decision, which is 
a paraphrase of what you said earlier. And for those listening, Kate is smiling and nodding her head. And, you know, someone's going to be like, no, 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 I'm a logical buyer. Bullshit rubbish. But understand with me, go, go with me here. I like to use the example of buying a car, a vehicle, right? And you're like, okay, well, I bought this vehicle because it has X feature and Y feature and blah, 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 blah. Well, cool. What color did you pick out? Maybe you're like, well, we really don't care about the color. Well, okay, maybe. But chances are the vehicle you bought was something that makes you feel good emotionally because you like the brand or the model. I like my Jeep Grand Cherokee. I've always emotionally liked Jeep Grand Cherokees. With all of the choices of SUVs I could have bought or any other vehicle, for me, my first choice is a fucking Jeep Grand Cherokee. I like them, right? And then, you know, the, the design of this thing. But I realized too that the vehicle that I was sold was not the original one that I was looking at. The dealer offered me this one. But I liked how it looked. I like how they look. <laughs> at the end of the day, I like all these other little things about it, which could feel rational, but, but it's really just something, it's about how it makes me feel. Well, you're thinking, well, well, actually, I'm a parent and I bought the minivan because of my kids and blah, blah, blah. And that's logical. Is it? Or at a fundamental level, is it an emotional, uh, you know, an, an instinctive desire to make sure you you provide for your kids and you put your kids first? So therefore, you know, emotionally that you will be judged if you put your kids in a Ford Mustang. So therefore, you know, there is this underlying emotion of the kind of interpretations and, and quote judgment or potential shame that you will face if you were to drive your children around in a vehicle that was not an approved vehicle for carrying kids. So my point being is that everything boils down to emotion and whether or not we're willing to accept it or not, we can get very good at, and this is the other side is post-rationalization, right? Post-rationalization for all the choices we make. We're great. We're machines. We are pattern recognition machines and we are post-rationalization machines in everything that we do. So, and I, I want to throw this back to you. So how do those things then affect how we understand our conversations with our clients? How can we take those lenses and to get to the deeper stuff? So first to your point, um, I know that you said initially that this was more service level, but when it comes to anything about psychology, right, there's there's layers. People are like onions, right? And you have to peel back the layers. And so when you first start getting into thoughts around people's decision-making or emotions or like what is underlying the surface that you see, right, you can go as deep as you want to, because if you get into the rabbit hole, you realize it never ends, which is one thing I love about studying the mind is that within my lifetime, we, we will still be learning about all of these things. And I'm just a sponge with it. Um, so that was my first point. But the second thing that you said is emotional buying and, and the difference between emotional and logical. And so one thing that I would say to everybody, especially if we're talking to people in business or coaching or aspiring coaches, when you, if you want to understand consumer behavior, look at where you spend your money and why you spend it, right? That was one of the first things when I got into sales is I wanted to understand, well, why am I buying certain things? Because a lot of times it's impulsive, right? It's an emotional experience that we have that aligns with whatever desired outcome that we have. And a lot of it too is like visualization. So for you in the car, right? You in this Jeep, you like the look of the Jeep, but you probably like the idea, the visualization of you driving that Jeep. And so maybe the color shifts because you've got the foundation of the vehicle, but maybe you feel like you look the best in black, like something's edgy about that, right? So, so you visualize that that desired outcome and then your desire to buy it is aligned there. And then logically you can justify that, especially if we're talking about something that is going to be more expensive, right? Cause people do live in an emotional state due to money and expenses and income, right? A lot of that still is an emotional decision. And so when people talk about logically investing in certain things, they have to justify that because they don't want what, their spouse to yell at them, which would give them an emotional experience that they're trying to avoid. Or people judging them for needing help and reaching out for help, right? So then they carry guilt and shame around that so that maybe that's the deterrent, right? And so when we're talking to people that are trying to build businesses, you have to understand the smoke screens that you get from people as well. Because again, like you said, there's post-rationalization. So you make a purchase and then you can justify the purchase logically, right? But we didn't always, we weren't always logical thinkers. And so it's it's the emotions that have been there through time. And then we've evolved to have this prefrontal cortex that's entirely logical. And we can justify decisions because we are advanced enough to explain away the rationality behind making them. 
but not because that's the root cause of what made you make that decision. And I think that's the differential um, when people are looking at consumer behavior or why people do what they do. And we're taught this when we start out, anyone who's started out at a commercial gym about asking deeper questions and getting to someone's like true, you know, what a dominant buying motive and the real emotional stuff. And that stuff actually is fundamentally true, right? And this is this is stuff that I think the good salespeople within our industry grasp this stuff early and it becomes just asking good, better questions, like you said. Uh, I was going to give another sort of piece of perspective on the, on the vehicle buying thing. I've always thought that, you know, I wouldn't want a Ferrari, right? Big, bright red Ferrari. I wouldn't want one because to me, that seems ostentatious. That it wouldn't be reflective of me. But there's also a post-rationalization because, A, I probably couldn't comfortably afford a Ferrari. I'm not in that kind of realm. Uh, because what I think about it, if, like I've seen these like really nice blue Bugattis. Now, a Bugatti is a much more expensive car than a Ferrari, right? These are we're talking Okay, Andrew Tate. <laughs> that, well, forget that whole like line of crap whatsoever. But there, you know, like if someone handed me comfortably and be like, hey, I could I could have this blue Bugatti, I'd be like, I'd be hard pressed not to like, hey, this thing's pretty cool. And fundamentally, I know it still would be ostentatious, wouldn't be reflective of who I am. Uh, because we also apply, and this is a very emotional thing, our, our desire for status in the way that all humans perceive and seek status. I think it's a, a very good thing to understand and a very bad lens to operate your primary decision making through is the, the desire to seek status. And that is definitely a thing that also plays into the career side with our with our industry. But in my example, there's still a post-rationalization as to why I wouldn't want the Ferrari when in fact there's probably, you know, it's it, it again, I think it's still a post-rationalization because hey, I fundamentally can't afford the Ferrari. So my mind is at peace with the fact that I don't have a Ferrari, right? But I love my Jeep. I really do. And you're you're right on with that. So yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but um, I know that you had asked a little bit circling back is like, how do you, how do you apply this in your coaching? Like, how do you have these conversations? How do you get to the depths of understanding somebody? And so I think one of the most important questions that you can ask somebody is what was their aha moment, right? Because we all have this moment where we hit rock bottom and we're like, this has got to change. And people are committed because you want clients that are committed, not interested, but committed to seeing their life change. And so you want to understand the gravity of that moment for them and the impact that it's had, right? And this is where you get into the emotional experience that they have, right? When they look in the mirror, what do they see? What do they think? What do they feel? When they walk into the gym, maybe, and they don't know what they're doing, what do they think? What do they feel? What do they see? How do they see themselves, right? Because a lot of people, they look at the world through very, very cracked lenses, right? And so their perception of their own value or capabilities is blunted by their limitations that they put on themselves through their own thought process, and so once you can understand someone's emotions and then you can get into their belief systems, right? What do you believe about yourself and why? Where did that come from? Is there any evidence that that's real, right? And a lot of times there's no evidence at all. It's just something that somebody maybe said one time when they were 14 years old and it stuck with them ever since. Um, or maybe a past partner or maybe a boss or a coworker or an old friend. And a lot of people internalize these ideas about themselves because we are very receptive to feedback, right? We want to be seen as certain things. And this goes down to somebody's identity. And if you can boil that down, when I ask people about who they are, right, they'll tell me about what they do, who their kids are, who they're married to. It's all relative to another person. But if you take all of that away, their careers and such, like who are you? Removing everything else. And a lot of people cannot answer that question. And I think that is one of the most important questions because if you don't understand who you are, you probably don't actually know what you want. You don't know what it is that you're even chasing in your life and the days go by. And you're spending it trying to live up to a standard of what is adequate or valuable by the lens of what society says is. And if you always aim to achieve something that is out of alignment with you, what you desire, you will always seek fulfillment and never actually feel it. And I think that's where people get caught walking down the wrong path for a very long time to where it's like, well, it's too late for me to turn back. So I've got to keep going, even if they resent it. And so I think that if you can boil it all down and remove all of the white noise and, and understand who you are, what you want, what direction you're going and why, then you have a lot more clarity and a lot more commitment, a lot more dedication, knowing 
that whether or not you're building a business or changing your life with your health and fitness, right? There's pain and suffering that is inevitable. I mean, my business is not even two years old, but I, I work probably 14 to 18 hour days every day. And I would not, I would not change it for anything because I know that the pain and suffering, the sleepless nights, the stress, I mean, there's always lots of things to be done, right? But I would rather do that and engage with that and spend that time there doing something that I'm passionate about, that challenges me, that forces me to grow and evolve than spending it doing something that somebody else, like my mom, and I love her to death, but my mom is a doctor, right? My sister is an RD and getting into medicine is what really saved my mom's life and was able to allow her to provide for us. And I was always good in sciences. And so she always wanted me to go down the path of medicine. But for me, I don't want to stand behind a desk and give people pharmaceuticals all day long. And I didn't want to be in a doctor's office looking at surface level things and giving people pharmaceutical drugs. I just didn't want to be in that because it didn't align with me and what I found meaningful and the pursuits that I was passionate about. And so once you have clarity on that, you can then drive the direction and accept that regardless of what path you pick, there's pain and suffering that is inevitable. Changing or staying the same will require sacrifice of maybe your dreams or ambitions or maybe your safety and security, right? But either way, there's going to be pain and suffering. And if you can accept that, then you can make better decisions that are aligned with you, not just emotionally, but logically. You can rationalize them, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that there's a cost either on either side of the coin. You, I've, I've told my friend Luca Hosvar this before. Someone needs to, are you familiar with the book, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant? No, heard? but I've heard of Naval. I've heard of him. Naval, Naval's a quite a brilliant philosopher, right? But anyway, so this guy, Eric Jorgensen, basically went and took every podcast appearance and, and every tweet, virtually like all the stuff that was out there and took all the best parts and put it into a compendium that you know had different sections and themes, sort of the combination of, of Naval's wisdom. I think it's someone really needs to do that with you and your podcast appearances because I, I just sit here and I'm like, this stuff's brilliant. This is great. Uh, there was a thought that I made a note about. So to what degree do you think that coaches will place arbitrary limits on th themselves? I think one of those limits can be uh, people in a relationship with money. I, I think this is a very fundamental thing where people have these belief systems about money. Uh, they didn't grow up necessarily with it. And therefore, they're, they, do, they do not believe that they are able to earn a livelihood, which often manifests in behaviors that will either spend money when they get their hands on it to fulfill the prophecy that, well, I can't earn money or I'm whatever. Uh, whereas I, I find that there are definitely people who are very good when it comes to the financial side of things who don't seem to have these hangups around money, or they, as I like to put it, they see through the matrix on understanding that money is simply a, you know, a means to exchange value. And they're really good at knowing what people value and then creating something that they can exchange for, right? They're, they're very different attitudes when it comes to money. But I think that goes broader into, you know, and again, you you sort of said like there's there's our idea of what success means through our value system and our societal like expectations on success. But if we were to simplify that definition, do you think that a lot of coaches put self-limiting beliefs or have self-limiting beliefs to the point where they create the, their own barriers to achieving the success that they probably emotionally desire? Absolutely. And so I can, I can use myself truly. I like to pick on myself all the time. So, um, growing up as a kid, I, I did not have a lot. My mom gave us the best life that she probably could have. And I was a very happy child. And so I look at this from two different perspectives. One, it taught me that I didn't need money or, um, material items to be happy because I was happy as a kid most of the time. Right. So I didn't, I, I broke through that belief, but when for me, the fear was when I started making money that I had to hold on to it because I could lose it, right? And so for me, I had a fear of actually spending money. And so I had to look at this like, okay, well, I'm holding this. And what it did is there's two things about money that I want people to, to understand that I've had to overcome these beliefs and, and go into practice with this. So if you are afraid to spend money, invest it in yourself and your business. You will always get the best ROI from that 100%, right? It is something that is tax-friendly if you are worried about that, right? Those investments, they are business expenses. But more than that, it will teach you this. The more that you spend 
truly, if it is, it is something that is in alignment with where you want to go and it is people that you can learn from who are where you want to be. I think that's very important to understand that you don't want to take advice from everyone and everybody's going to give you unsolicited advice and opinions on what you should do. But if it's someone who is where you want to be and who has the proof, so the evidence that they have, they know how to get there, that is a good investment for you to make. And you will see that money flows. So money, the more that you give, and I used to think this was like woo-woo, like, oh yeah, if I just spend this money, I'm, I'm just spending it and supposedly it's going to come back, but it does. And it's not just because you've spent it. It's because one, people, people who pay, pay attention. Right. So the more that you invest your time or your finances into something, the more valuable it is to you. And if you are not the most valuable thing in your business or to yourself, and you're not investing in that, that is probably why you're not going where you want to go, right? Because you have a fear of investing in that thing that you desire, that you're passionate about, that you care about, but you are the barrier to where you want to go. And so you have to break through that belief and you have to challenge it head on. So that would be point number one. Point number two, and this was where I, I really let go of a lot of that belief was truly when you think about money, money is an idea. If I look at my bank account, I see numbers and those numbers are, are numbers that I get to play with. Right. So if you can gamify it, right, it, it removes all of the stress about finances. I mean, for me, that's, that's how I like to look at a lot of things, especially being an athlete. And I think that's me understanding the way that I'm wired. And so how I can reframe things and rewire things in my own uh, mind to change my behavior with certain things, right? And then kind of just like ad spend, right? You try to plug things in and you collect the data and you collect the feedback and then you might change a little bit. And so that's kind of how I, I experiment experiment with things is kind of gamifying it and then collecting the data and going, okay, this is what I need to do. But all of the money that you see on your screen, whether it's $100 or $1,000 or $100,000, if you go into the bank right now and you say, I want to take out every penny that I have, you're probably going to get a no right? Because even the money that you have in there, they can loan three times, three or four times, whatever you have sitting. And that's kind of the banking system is it's, it's an entire kind of funnel model. But my point being that if your beliefs around money prevent you from investing in yourself, when the best thing that you can do as an entrepreneur is invest in yourself, in your business, and that is the highest, highest yield, highest ROI, right? Highest amount of growth and learning that you can do that is also going to prevent you or save you in the long, the long haul with the way that our government works in taxes, it's like, that's a safe bet for you to make. Very, very safe bet. Even if you weigh the potential downside, it's minimal. I mean, truly it really is. Um, and so that would be kind of my thoughts around that. But two is if you don't believe that you can achieve this level of success, you will actually never achieve it, right? Because like you meant, like you mentioned earlier, your subconscious beliefs manifest into your external reality through behavior. If I don't believe I can make X amount of money, I'm not going to do all of the work that would allow me to do it, right? And that could be creating better content, spending time learning, uh, writing articles, sending email campaigns, right? All of the things that re require you to sit down one, learn copy, right? Learn psychology, learn, learn consumer behavior, learn all those things, and then start deploying value to an audience, seeing what resonates with them. So you're auditing what you're doing by collecting feedback and then improving that system. But again, that requires you to invest in yourself, your skill set, your knowledge base to be able to generate that. Because when we look at successful entrepreneurs, right, we are problem finders and problem solvers. And so if you don't have the skills to find problems or be aware of what they are and or be able to provide the solutions to those problems with enhancing your skill set and stacking that, you are going to be your own upper limit because you refuse to go back to the basics, which is just like in anything else. If I want to learn athletics, if I want to learn sports, I'm going to invest in going to practice. I'm going to have a coach. I'm going to learn the skill set and I'm going to apply it and practice on a daily basis to see how much I can enhance my skill set to be an asset to that team. And the same thing applies in business. I like I like to use athletics for everything because I think it's such a good carryover into truth versus kind of woo-woo, blow smoke up your ass kind of bullshit. Like you want the best person on the roster to be performing. That's the starting five, right? And so if you want to make the starting five, then you need to be investing in yourself, your skill set, your mindset, the things that you understand, the things that you don't, asking for help and utilizing the resources that you have, especially with the internet that can make that make your journey to acquiring all those skill sets significantly faster. Because like you mentioned Alex Hormozy earlier, he said something great one time and I thought it was fascinating, but like a good mentor, if they truly are good, you, they, you should be better than them because they didn't have them. They didn't have them to learn from. 
So if you are investing in somebody, you should be able to get to where they are, but potentially even past them because they didn't have them to learn from. So it's like, if you can take that and go, okay, well, I invest this, but I can get an ROI that's 3X, 5X, 10X from learning from this person. Like that, that, that is the game. That is the game. And I think if you can gamify business, you have a lot more fun with it. But also I love business because, and Alex has said this before, I believe, um, but the business works on you just as much as you work on it. And so aligning your business with the quality of life and the vision that you have for yourself, like for me, it's bridging the gap between psychology and physiology. I love psychology. I have mastered physiology. And so that for me is a game that I want to play. I don't have to play it. It's not that I feel like I should play it. It's a game that I love playing, right? Learning copywriting. I remember Jordan Syatt and I had so many conversations about copywriting because he is phenomenal. And I'm like, where did you learn this? He sent me books. He and I would bounce ideas. He would read my copy. like, And he helped me acquire that skill set and solidify it. Whereas before I was just writing off the top of my head without any true frameworks or structure. And so while you can get by with talent, you will always be beaten out by somebody who has a better work ethic than you do. And so I think that regardless of what arena you're trying to excel in, it boils down to the first fundamental principle that I mentioned earlier is you have to be willing to be very uncomfortable. You have to be willing to challenge the beliefs and the fears. And I think a lot of people are afraid, right? And that can be a totally different segue, but, and then you have to invest in overcoming those obstacles because as an entrepreneur, you will realize that as you grow, the number of people that you can connect with that understand you, that can understand your frame of reference and the problems that you're facing becomes increasingly smaller. And so if you don't have somebody that can see your blind spots and give you peace of mind and challenge you and give you direction and orientation and fundamental support, that's where you're going to struggle the most because being an entrepreneur can be entirely lonely. And I want to be super clear about that because it's not all sunshine, rainbows, yachts, and Bugattis. It's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of fucking work, a lot of investing in yourself and your business. There are going to be months where you break even, or maybe you're in the red. And guess what? That is the game. That is the game. And so you have to be willing to get up and continue to fight for the thing that you care about. Because again, the pain and suffering is inevitable. And if you can accept that and ride the midline between the best months of your life and the worst months of your life, what you have fundamentally is the actions that continue to build that or you need to take feedback from or you need to improve. But either way, like I said, you are going to be your own bottleneck if you let your beliefs and your fears prevent you from taking any source of action. I need hours upon hours to go through all these sort of things that you're talking about. I love a lot of this stuff. There are so many, you've said a lot of things that are, are shared philosophies with Hormozy. So it doesn't surprise me that you clearly pay attention to a lot of his stuff. He's a smart guy, funny. Like he's similar story about you know, the the doctor parent and going in a different direction, right? There's there's some common things there. Um, and and one of the things you said there that I really do agree with, I never thought about this way, but he's talked about it a lot. You said it explicitly is the best ROI is investing in developing your own skills. He talks a lot about how, like, even if you fail in a business, you are still going to come away. Like he talks about his own business failures, his early ones and the time that he made a whole bunch of money and then lost it. But each time he came away with the skills and the experience of learning these things. Why do you think coaches are hesitant or afraid to invest in their own education? And maybe we can also, where do you think are some dimensions that coaches should be investing in greater skills? So to your first point, actually, I found Alex Hormozy right when I started my business. So it would have been what July of 2021. And I liked him a lot because he was the one entrepreneur that didn't have the story of high school dropout, college dropout, just was the entrepreneur from a young age because I being like thrown into it, truly. Um, I was at a point in my life where I was going to go back to school. My mom wanted me to be a doctor. I could have been a PA or higher up in that. And I had saved enough to buy a house because society would have told Kate that she's 28 years old and she needs to buy a house and take her life seriously and get a man and get married and all the things, right? So I bought into that belief. And then it came to this kind of um, rock and a hard place of I can do this and I'm naturally good at it, but I'm not passionate about it. And I'm actually really passionate about coaching and I want to take this leap, but this is the money that I have. So instead of buying the home and going back to school, I remember calling my mom and she about shit her pants. Sorry, mom. But I told her, I said, I know you really want me to do this. And I know that you're going to tell me you don't think this is a good idea. 
but I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to invest it in building a business. And my mom was like, the fuck you are like, what are you talking about? Right. And again, it's because she loved me and she cared about me. She didn't mm-hmm. want me to struggle. Um, and her frame of reference and ex- life experiences were like, this is the path you need to walk so that you're going to be safe and okay. Right. Um, but I couldn't live with that. For me, it was, what can I live with? And for me, it was, I would rather give everything that I have and fuck around and find out if I can do this thing and carry out this vision and help people. Right. And for me, like I always aim to be the coach that I wish that I had. So it's a very personal thing for me. And so I was willing to sacrifice for people that struggle with money, every dollar in my bank account and take out a lot of credit. Luckily I had great credit score, right. To be able to afford all of the things that I would need to make that business move. And so for me, that is the best, hardest, scariest thing I've ever done but I regret none of it because it taught me a lot about resilience. And so for coaches that are afraid to invest in themselves or their business or their mission or their passions, it's like, what, what do you have to lose? Because most of us, and again, I can't speak for everyone, but most people, the worst case scenario is they move back home with their parents and they pick up a job to get by until they get back into school or they pursue a different degree or take the a job in the degree in which they had acquired. That is your worst case scenario. The best case scenario is you have freedom, you have resources, you have skills, you have knowledge, you can help people and serve people, which fundamentally, I know we all need to make a living, but if you're looking at every conversation that you have as a sale, you're not coming from the right place and you will never be able to build the business that you want. Because if you have clients that are you are serving, out of generosity and because genuinely your mission is to serve the referrals that you get from them will build your entire network. That has been my business at this point. I don't even know how to run ads. I'm like trying to learn that skill right now, right? Another skill set I need to acquire. But nonetheless, that was the scariest but most pivotal point in my life, I would say to this point. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made because I had the courage to face the fear head on and rewire what failure would look like. And I've said this before, failure is not trying and coming up short. That's just human behavior. That's normal. If you've never done something, don't expect to be great at it the first time. How could you? Failure is preventing yourself from even walking into the room in the first place because you're too afraid of what other people would think or what your shortcoming might be judged as, right? The If I were to try to do this and it didn't work out and the amount of pushback I might get from my family for that decision, I that's the fear. That's what would have prevented me from doing it. Not because I didn't want to, right? But because I feared judgment and ridicule and lashback and my perception of self in other people's eyes more than I would have had the courage to face that head on. And so if you boil it down to why people don't do it, it's because they're afraid, right? And maybe it's because they fear judgment, they fear lashback, they fear, well, if I put myself into this room with these other business owners who are further along than me, I'm, I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to look stupid. And, and, and then I'm somehow inadequate and maybe I can't keep up and then maybe I'll just fail or maybe it's their ego paired with that. So if they are someone who does have a lot of skills to learn and they don't have the knowledge base or experience that other people might have, they're probably also going to prevent themselves from asking the question because they don't want to sound stupid. But the problem with not asking this, the question is you're prolonging your period of stupid because if you just ask it one time, you might sound stupid, but at least you have the answer. And so that's the first thing that I would say as far as you know, investing in and in kind of taking that leap for yourself from a perspective challenging angle. And then as far as skill sets, I mean, I love I love business because it's taught me so much. I like I said, anything when if you were to ask me in 2021, anything performance, body composition, metabolism, like a whole nine, I knew. Put me into an arena of business and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I'm going to serve people and coach people the way that I have. And I'm going to have to just learn all these other skills. So systems, I mean, onboarding systems, fulfillment, client communication, like client retention, understanding LTV, like all of the numbers and data, that's one skill set. Then you have, again, psychology, so consumer behavior. Then you have copywriting. um, You have marketing you have profit and loss, you have all the business language um, that people utilize. And it's like, well, I don't know what that actually really means. Um, Like ROAS, like return on ad spend. I was like, ROAS, people are just throwing around ROAS. I'm like, I don't know what ROAS is. And so you have to spend the time to learn that thing or invest in someone who knows all of these skills that will stack, right? And then can help you acquire them faster and apply them faster. Because again, knowledge without practice is meaningless. It's like, you can know everything in the world, but if you don't know what to do with it, well, what value 
does it have? What's up team? I interrupt this broadcast to formally invite you to our live event in McKinney, Texas, Saturday, October 21st. If you are into health, fitness, and personal development, you are not going to want to miss this. We are going to have industry leading experts talking all about nutrition, health optimization, and understanding yourself because you deserve to be all that it is that you can be. So I hope to see you there for more information. Click the link below in the description. And now we'll get back into our episode. Right. And so then you talk about making money. Well, problem find, problem solve. And that is by generating value specific to that individual's problem. And so I think one of the things that people have missed along the way with building businesses is they try to look for the rapid fat loss detox tea fat burner supplement pill for business. That's not how it works. Anytime you see a quick fix or a shortcut, that should be a red flag. Okay. That's not real. And I know because I've bought into bullshit like that. So you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. Okay. It's going to require time. Just because you learn a skill set in a mentorship or someone who is mentoring you one-to-one specifically doesn't mean the ROI is immediate. And I think that people cannot delay gratification knowing that they're building the skill sets over time that are allowing them to get closer and closer to the peak where then all of a sudden it pops off, right? People that blow up like Alex Hormozzi, he's been doing gym launch. He's not new, but he had stacked the skill sets and he had put in the time and work and he had created a story worth telling that made him so captivating that when he did finally get to acquisition.com, then he blew up. But it wasn't acquisition.com that blew him up. It was all of the work that he had put in previously to that enhancing his own journey, his skill set, his knowledge base, all the things that he could provide. And then even if, worst case scenario, you do this, you invest in yourself, you stack these skills, you learn them. If indeed your business falls under, you're going to be incredible at sales. You're going to be incredible at marketing. You're going to be incredible at copywriting. You're going to be incredible about all these things, understanding finances. I mean, you have so many skills that then can carry over into multiple industries. You will never need to worry about having employment again. And so again, that is your worst case scenario. And for me, that's an easy bet. There's, again, this stuff's amazing. I wish we had more time. Um, Again, I can I can tell the overlap between some of the, the philosophies with Hormozy. And it's it's not because I think that you are just soaking up a lot of Hormozy stuff. I think no. there's a lot of fundamental common origin to these philosophies that run deeper. Because I mean, Alex's stuff, Alex is very good at diving into literature about mental models and getting into he talks about Richard Feynman and Charlie Munger, especially, right? And we're talking yep. about the smart business thinker, especially Charlie Munger, who people should be paying attention to. So there are that list of skills that you ran ran through can be intimidating, right? There's a, probably a lot of people here listening kind of going, uh, yeah, I'm no good at that. I don't know where to start. And I think the thing that becomes emotionally soothing procrastination from doing the hard things is to go back and do more of the things you're already really good at and consume the things you're already really strong at, which is usually the nutritional science. It's usually the exercise science stuff. I usually use that phrase, emotionally soothing form of procrastination through the lens of, you know, coaches not getting out and creating content, media, long form content, doing the things like the writing, the podcasting, the, 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 the video based stuff, the YouTube or building the business side of stuff that they ultimately want because that's stuff that's really critical to brand. And to your point, you know, I, I think one of a rare skill, I think a lot of people kind of come into this one by pure accident, but a lot of people want it is there is a skill behind building a personal brand, yeah. right? And Hormozy is a great example. And quite frankly, he's very formula with it. He's thrown a fair bit of money at it, but he's, he's also very intelligent, but he has very deliberately crafted the way that him and Layla have built their personal brands. It's a very deliberate purpose. And what I've learned is I've been for a very long time, not necessarily intentionally going about developing the skill of personal branding, but because of the things that I pay attention, we all have our skills. We all have the things that we more naturally gravitate towards. I like to say those things that we see through the matrix on, we find easier because we have a pre-existing base of skill and knowledge. And therefore, as we learn more pieces, it's very easy to assimilate those little pieces to a strong body of knowledge that we're naturally very interested. I always use the example that I don't know anything about cars. I didn't grow up. Dad's not a car guy. I'm not a car guy. And outside of me liking my Jeep, um, you know, and I love the Fast and Furious movies. 
But if someone starts talking about, you know, fairly basic or even advanced things about cars, I don't have a pre-existing lattice of knowledge to then attach those pieces of information to. So it, it doesn't work for me. We tend to have very strong lattice works of training, methodology stuff, and nutritional stuff. But one of my favorite things that I see through the matrix on is, is people, the interplay dynamics of people and the interplay of a lot of the brand and media-based stuff and especially social media. And there are times where I felt like, well, over the years, the amount of time I've studied and that like absorbed these nuances ooh, may not have been good use of the time when in fact, it's actually led to a particularly unique and super valuable skill set, which I mean, maybe it's where I should go, but I just don't feel like I want to go into the business coaching space, but I've helped a lot of people develop their, their media tactics and then their overall brand, right? I do mentor some coaches, but, and I find it fun, but I think that it becomes being willing to lean into these things that, yeah, we, we don't necessarily have a strong foundation in. And I think there's also, you alluded to this too, you can outsource some skills. There are certain things like video. Right? For me, there are certain basic video skills that I still need to do a little more with, but when it comes down to it, I'm probably never going to be the person manually developing my own captions on video if I ever get to this, this shit. Whereas where it comes to written-based stuff for social media, I find that stuff very easy. I got people in my DMs here, blah, blah, blah. I can show you the system. I'm like, I got the shit on lockdown. Don't even worry. It's all good. Right? I like the writing side of stuff. And when, when you're saying copywriting, for anybody listening, if they're not familiar with it, we're really just talking about like the the skill of writing, but as it applies to marketing writing, sales, sales writing, I think it's a fundamental skill and everybody should probably do it. And Jordan site also recommended to me the ultimate sales letter and the boron letters, which you probably. Yes, that's it. That's right? it. <laughs> so even, even a conversation years ago, um, Jordan, sure. He recommended those, but Jordan's been a big influence on the way that I've approached social media, because I also think that Jordan sees through the matrix on you know, the development of brand, because Jordan is also one of the biggest and most successful brands, you know, out of someone who was a personal trainer, who did all the long form media stuff, and then blew up into mainstream. And part of that is his skill, his communication skills, his marketing skills, his copywriting skills. So I hope that everybody listening is willing to recognize where you keep going back, we all do it, to soothe that emotional discomfort, because we feel like we should be doing more. And we go back and Oh, all of a sudden now there's all this biomechanics stuff. Ooh, cool. I'm going to go learn more about biomechanics. I, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Biomechanics is a giant distraction from anything that's going to help you in your career. I now I, I'm going to sound hypocritical because, and I don't, I don't think of prescript and Jordan Shallow's work as quote biomechanics. It probably is more actually biomechanics than the people who are selling you biomechanics bullshit. But I am going to go do prescript level one in the fall because I'm interested in, in learning some more stuff there because I think it will fill in some gaps for me. Absolutely. But I'm not going to set aside learning the other really critical skills that I'm still continuing to do. But I, I'll use biomechanics as a really good example of a phenomenon. Talked about this before. We are seeing a race for status within the industry. We're seeing a race for brand development. Brand development is a powerful animal. But people are grabbing onto the available real estate that is out there as the hack and the rush to relevance, as opposed to building a foundation of credibility, robustness in knowledge, the way that people like Jordan Syatt, Luca Hosevar, Don Saladino, Jill Coleman, Molly Galbraith, you know, Sohili, pick your person, right? Instead, we've seen people blowing up on TikTok. And, and this is not to gatekeep or malign social media, but they've grabbed onto a trend and biomechanics. I mean, real biomechanics is a thing, but there's also the trend of biomechanics where every classic bodybuilding exercise ever sucks for hypertrophy, which is ridiculous on its face. And it's all got to be, you know, people may think I'm maligning certain individuals. No, there's a lot of these people. It's like, well, it's got to be like, you got to torque your elbow this way. And it's got to be a single arm cable. Like I'm going into commercial gyms now and half the shit that I see is single arm cable stuff. Some of this stuff's valuable, but guess what? That, that hand's being overplayed. And what I want people to do is recognize that what this fundamentally is, it's a rush. It's a hack for brand and relevance. And then you notice that there's a lot of people copying other people and they're peddling the same sort of thing. There's a lot of plagiarism in that space. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of the insider stuff within this world. Recognize that stuff as a, 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 a fat loss pill 
for brand relevance. But what you probably don't know is most of the people who are playing in that space are not well-liked or well-respected within the greater industry as a whole. They're not the people speaking at the conferences. They're not part of the, you know, the greater community. And I guess the final point, you alluded to this about this space getting kind of lonely. It's why I relentlessly talk about the events that I'm very lucky now to get to go speak at. You know, I used to attend. I'm speaking at them in large part because I attended them and supported them first. But this is where you get to spend time with the people who often have the most in common. And I think a lot of our friends, the people in our lives, they aren't necessarily on our social media. I just had um, Marcus Martinez on my podcast recently. Marcus is great. He's, been, he's an OG, kettlebell master. And Marcus lives very close to a whole bunch of other people, a bunch of my friends, people like Sohee Lee uh, and her husband now, uh, Ben Carpenter, uh, my friends, Kelsey and Dennis Heenan. Uh, and they're always on with other like very notable and successful uh, people within the fitness industry. But, and then there's of course the like minds and getting to share that time because they're all in SoCal. But there's also all the friends of ours who are not part of our industry, who don't have the social media presence we're following. And we just don't splash it around social media. My best friend, I think she's got 150 followers. <laughs> she's great. And she loves the gym. She works out all the time. We get to hang out there a fair bit. But, you know, this is also not part of her world. Her career is elsewhere. So, but yes, it can feel otherwise a little bit lonely, especially if, you know, brand grows to the point where, you know, you gravitate towards the people who are kind of on the same path and, and in the same places. So again, I could give you three more hours, set you loose. Everybody's just going to, I'm, I'm hoping you're going to want to do deeper dive. So I'll say, first of all, now, if you want to hear more about what Kate had to say on, on the other podcast, shoot me a message. I'll send you the link to our Forever Strength one. It's great. But uh, Kate, where can people go and consume more of your wisdom and your brilliance? I appreciate you having me first and foremost, and we'll definitely have to do a continuation. Maybe we'll do it on my podcast because um, I already have squirrel notes on like the last segment that you said. Um, so if you want to listen to my podcast, it is called Elevate, E-L-E-V, the, the number eight um, on Apple, Spotify, and it's on YouTube if you're interested in watching videos. My Instagram is Kate and Michelle, Twitter, Kate and Michelle, every platform ever, Kate and Michelle. So uh, search me there. And if you guys have questions or this resonate with you, reach out and I'm happy to connect. And as always, um, guys, please go support the people I bring on. I am very thoughtful. I have limited time. Uh, and there's always people asking, hey, can I come on your podcast? And it's like, I have a very sort of specific criteria that I want uh, to sort of boxes I have to check before I bring someone on here. And, uh, and Kate, you're wonderful. So guys, please go check out what Kate's doing. Hopefully you can't hear this garbage truck in the background picking up stuff in my alleyway. And, uh, but- <laughs> If you are someone who's a long-time listener, go follow Kate. If you're someone who is brand new to my media because you are here because you saw this on Kate's, well, take a take a little walk through the guest list I've had on my podcast. I've got a lot of really incredible people that I passionately endorse and want uh, more people to learn about. You may enjoy more of these episodes. You might even stick around for more. So thank you guys so much, Kate. I really appreciate your time.